Turn your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 14. Leviticus chapter 14. Before we begin, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for inviting myself and my family here. We've very much been looking forward to this. And the first thing my wife asked me was, why did they want you to come? Why are you coming? I didn't know. I was just happy to say yes, so I didn't ask. It was good to find out it's fifth Sunday. Fortunately, I was the last fifth Sunday of the year. It worked out great. Thank you all so much for having us here. We very much appreciate it. There are several of you that I know very, very well. There are many here that I look forward to getting to know, getting, getting to meet. As we look in Leviticus chapter 14, but before we get there, I want to ask a question. This has nothing to do with New Year's resolutions or this being the time of the year. It just worked out. Yearly Bible readings. Has anybody ever done one? Second question. Have you ever finished one? Third question. Did you start one and then you kind of finished, but you also skipped some sections? Or maybe you read through some sections faster than you maybe should have. I, I can answer yes to all of those. Especially the last one. I, I do that a lot. I have done that a lot. I'm trying to get better about that. This past year, uh, maybe in January or February, I had a friend who called me. And he said, Ty, have you ever just considered Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, where it talks about God's laws on leprosy? And I had to answer no. I got this Bible about two years ago. My pages between 13 and 14 were still stuck together. So I'd had it for about a year. I hadn't looked at it. I'd spent a long time. Hadn't read it. There are a lot of things we can draw from some of these passages. So as we look through these, you know, it's easy when you start a yearly Bible reading. You begin in Genesis, and there's a lot of narrative there. You start with creation. You work your way through Adam and Eve. You get to the fall of man, Cain and Abel. And then you get to chapter 5, and there's genealogy. And I have a habit of, I've read this before, and I go and I find Seth, and I find Dinah, and I find Methuselah, I find the cool stuff, and then I skip through everything else. And I pick up in 6, and there's more narrative. You get Noah and the flood. You continue, and we go through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and we go through Jacob's sons, and we get to Joseph, and we see how God, through providence, saves His people. They end up in Egypt. Then we come to Exodus, and very similarly, there is a lot of narrative in Exodus. There are a lot of cool things that happen in Exodus. My sons love to hear stories, because God did powerful, remarkable things, helping His people during this time period. We get to see the Exodus. We get to see all of the plagues that come upon. We get to see people come into a covenant with God. And then that comes along with that covenant, and you know, we slow down with the tabernacle, and I do some mental math, and I convert cubits to feet. And, but I skip through a lot of that stuff. I, I read it to see it, but I fast forward, and then there's more narrative. And then what has probably killed more yearly Bible readings than anything is the book of Leviticus. And to me, I know that has happened. You get to Leviticus, and you've got five chapters on cleanliness. And then you have even more chapters on different ways and different sacrifices that need to be made. There is not a lot of narrative to it. And it is easy for me to look at that and say, that is not my law and that is not my problem. And I skip to the next narrative and that's what I start telling my sons about. It is very easy for me to do that. That is possible is the same way with some of you. And so when my friend called me and said, Ty, have you ever looked at this? That's when I started realizing there may be some more applications to these things that I have previously skipped over that can help me be a Christian today, that can help me be a better man, that can help me be a better father to my sons and raise them in the way that they need to be. My daughter as well. She's new. I, I forget about her sometimes. So, as we get in the book of Leviticus, there's a little bit of narrative. There are familiar stories. We have Nadab and Abihu in chapter 10. There are familiar passages 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus quotes that. That's Leviticus 19.18. But in chapters 13 and 14, we have laws concerning leprosy. Leprosy in people, which is chapter 13. And in chapter 14, which is the text I would like to look at, leprosy in the house. So before we read, and I, this will be a, a lengthy reading. I want to read it in its entirety. I, I try not to do that, but I believe that's the best way to look at this, to read it in its entirety, and then we will go back and make applications in small sections. But to read it in its entirety and answer some questions, think about some things before we begin. Why does this matter to me? Why is this applicable to me? I'm under a new law and a new covenant and a new high priest. I'm under a better law, a better covenant, a better high priest. Why does this matter? And this, this section answers what do the people of Israel need to do when they find mold or they find mildew, when they find a contamination or a contagion that is in their house. What are they supposed to do? So let's begin in, in verse 33 of Leviticus chapter 14. The Lord further spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, When you enter into the land of Canaan that I'm giving you as a possession, and I put a spot of leprosy on a house in the land of your possession, then the one who owns the house will come and they will tell the priest, saying, There's something like a spot of leprosy that has become visible to me in the house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes in to look at the spot, so that everything in the house may not become unclean. And afterward, the priest will go in and he will look at the house. So he will look at the spot, and if the spot on the walls of the house has a greenish or a reddish hue, depressions, he appears deeper than the surface. The priest shall come out of the house to the doorway. He will quarantine the house for seven days. And then the priest will return on the seventh day. He will make another inspection. And if the spot has indeed spread on the walls of the house, the priest shall order them to pull out with stones the spots of them, and they will throw them away at an unclean place outside of the city. And he will have the house scraped all around the inside. They will dump the plaster that they scrape off at an unclean place outside of the city. And they will take other stones and they will replace the discarded stones. And he will take other plaster. They will replace the old discarded plaster. And if, however, the spot breaks out again in the house after he pulled out the stones and after they've scraped the house and after it has been replastered, then the priest shall come in and he will make another inspection. If he sees that the spot has indeed spread in the house, it is a malignant spot. It is unclean. The owner shall therefore tear down the house, its stones, its timbers, all the plaster in the house. He will make them outside the city and take them to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever goes into the house during the time that he has quarantined it becomes unclean until evening. Likewise, whoever lies down in the house will wash his clothes. Whoever eats in the house will wash his clothes. And if, on the other hand, the priest comes in and he makes an inspection, and the spot has not indeed spread in the house after the house has been replastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, because the spot has not reappeared. To cleanse the house then, he will take two birds, cedar wood, a scarlet string, and hyssop. He'll slaughter the bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. And then he will take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet string, and with the live bird, he will dip them into the blood of the slaughtered bird, as well as in the running water, and he will sprinkle the house seven times. So will he cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and the running water, along with the live bird, the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet string. However, He'll let the live bird go free outside the city into the open field. And he will make atonement for the house. And it will be clean. So again, why does this matter? Why does this matter to me? Le you know, leprosy is a disease that has mostly been cured. And if you have a variant that is uncurable, is at least taken care of. You're able to slow it down. is effectively treated. So why talk about it now? 
And what my friend called and told me about, and he showed me a parallel that many of you may already know, but I didn't because I'm dumb. He said, leprosy and sin are very closely related in the Bible. Leprosy is a physical description of sin in the Bible as you look at them, as you compare them. Physically, you start to notice these things as you start to write it out. Physically, leprosy is an ugly disease. I mean, it causes distortions. It causes fingers to fall off, digits to fall off. It leads to uncleanness. And on our own, at least previously, it was incurable, uncurable. You couldn't get rid of it. It contaminates and it spreads. It can be deeper than the skin. It can go beyond just the superficial into something that causes parts of you to fall off. It spreads. It is infectious. It is a corruption of our body. And then from that, it leads to isolation. Now, it led to people having to be thrown out of the gates of the city. They had to cover their mouths. They had to scream, unclean, unclean. It was embarrassing, and it hurt. It hurt the family that was involved with those people who had to be separated. And interestingly, the garments that were left of those unclean people, they were only fit to be burned. And now as I start to look at those things, and as my friend pointed those out to me, I started to see that as a lot, like sin is described in the Bible. Sin is ugly. And it is incurable, at least on our own. It is something that is within a person and is deeper than the skin because it is a heart issue. It is something that starts within, and then it spreads. Sin spreads from person to person. One person convinces another and so on and so forth, and it can spread like wildfire. That sin leads to isolation. And it leads to people being isolated both from their family, both from other Christians, and most importantly, they can be isolated from God. And then finally, we all know the wages of sin. And we know that eventually they're only fit to be burned, much like those leprous garments. So as I started to see this similarity as my friend laid this out to me, that's when I finally started thinking, maybe I need to find out what the old law says about leprosy, how to treat it, how to remove it, and maybe that can help me find sin, discover skin, remove it from my life and have it cleansed and washed away. So now I would like to look back, chapter 14, verse 33, and break this into four sections and look at step by step how we can remove the leprosy, how we can remove the sin from our lives and see how this is valuable to us. So verses 33 to 35 is about detecting the problem, recognizing that there is an issue. If you're not aware of an issue, you don't know that you need a solution. You know, the reason that the book of Romans begins with a description of sin, what it is, why it is dangerous to us, what leads from sin, is because the Romans didn't know. The people who were there didn't know. The gospel is not valuable unless you recognize why you need it, unless you recognize the problem, and sin is the problem. Forgiveness isn't valuable unless you understand sin. I have never looked at a lifeboat and thought that was a very beautiful thing. But to a man who's drowning in the ocean, a lifeboat's the most precious invention we've ever made in humankind. He needs it. He recognizes the utility of it. We recognize that the gospel is needed. Christ is needed because sin is a problem because it will kill us. So we look at the homeowner. Who is it that notices the problem? It's the homeowner, not the priest. They didn't do leprosy spot checks, knocking on doors, checking for things. I remember being in school, and they made us put our heads on the table, and they'd comb through our hair. They looked for lice. You know, one day we had a kid sent home. He actually had it. The next day he came back. He had no hair. They took care of the problem. It's a different time back then. 
They didn't have people knocking on your doors looking for leprosy. It was the homeowner's responsibility to look for these things, to find these things, to search for these things. He had to be vigilant. And then when he found it, he would have to go to the priest. He'd have to say, I think that I have an issue. I might have an issue. He had to go to someone. Maybe that was the, because the, he wasn't as studied as that priest. But he had to be paying attention. He had to be looking. He had to be hoping, constantly taking care of his family, taking care of himself, because this could kill them. He recognizes the danger and he understands the importance of nipping this problem in the bud as quickly as he can. Now, have you ever been to somebody's house and you recognize problems and you just wonder, how can you live like this? My wife and I buy foreclosed homes. We buy things that they kick most people out of and then we fix them. And now I go to people's houses and I, I just want to fix it for them. And I said, it's almost like you walk into somebody's house and you hear a beeping. You say, what is it? They say, oh, that's my CO2 detector. It does that sometimes. You've got to get out of here. It's dangerous. Do you not understand the problem? And you just live with it like it's okay. Why do you have cracks on your walls? Oh, we have foundation issues, but it hasn't been a problem so far. We might need to get that checked. There are issues. We need to get these things fixed. We have to have vigilance. We have to be willing to go to people to help us fix it. So as we compare sin with leprosy, it starts with vigilance. And we have to be vigilant because we have no off days. Satan, the adversary, prowls about like a roaring lion looking for those who he may devour. Sin is a malignant force. And if we are not careful, it will spread. And if we're not watching, it will get us. We cannot have an off day. And if, if sin is malignant, Satan is malicious, always trying to find us. So the one time, that we try to take that day off, that we are not ready. That's when he strikes. If you will, turn to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Now, Jesus here is, is teaching, and he's teaching about expecting an impending judgment. And at Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 34. 21 verse 34. He says, but be on your guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation or drunkenness and the worries of life, that this day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. Uh, anytime I read that, it reminds me of the days of Noah. People were still getting married. They were having parties. They were having fun. And then the rains came. And then they don't stop. And by that point, it is already too late. Noah had been preaching for over 100 years at this time. Nobody listened. They weren't ready. There was only eight people who were ready. There were only eight people who were prepared, who weren't worried about the dissipation, who weren't worried sitting in drunkenness. They were ready for this. We have to be ready. We have to be always on guard because we can't have any off days. So back to our, our text, Leviticus 14. Imagine this is your house. You know, you, you walk through your house and you notice a spot on the wall. You think, oh, it's okay. I'll let my wife clean it. And you keep walking by. And then a week later or so, you, you notice that spot and it's just a little bit bigger. And now you know what to do. You need to go find the priest. You need to go confide in him. You need to let him know so he can come inspect this. So he can come say this. But I say you, I mean me, you know, this, this Israelite. If I tell a priest, then everyone else is going to know when I go see the priest and he walks into my house. Oh, Ty's got leprosy in his house. This is, I can't associate with Ty anymore. My pride starts to get in the way. 
I have an issue that needs to be dealt with. I have an issue that could lead my family into danger. But because I don't want anybody else to know about it, I, I shirk on my duties. I don't do what I need to do, what I know to do, what I've been taught to do. And I wait. I don't do anything. It's easy for me, it's easy for us to do this with sin. We have, you know, they call it secret sin. You know, things, things you don't think anybody else deals with. I don't want anybody else to know about it. I don't want them to think less of me. Because if they find out, they won't think I'm the Christian that I need to be. But we're told to confess our sins to one another, to deal with these things together as we fight against this problem. We need to be not only vigilant, we need to be humble. We need to have humility. We need to admit that we have a problem. In uh, Luke chapter 18, we hear the prayers of two men. We hear the prayer of a Pharisee. He says, oh, I'm thankful I'm not like this tax collector. I'm able to do all these things for you, God. I'm a great guy. Thank you for that. And then you have the tax collector who was humble enough to admit that he had a problem. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the attitude that we need to have. Always. So we have to detect problems. We have to be vigilant. We have to always be looking for things in our homes, for sin in our homes. And once we see it, we have to examine it. We have to look at it. We have to see, is this really a problem or is this just a spot on the wall? It's not something that's going to cause an issue. And in verses 36 and 37, we see that a priest has to be notified. So he comes and he examines this spot. And he's got a list of things that he needs to check. Is it reddish? Is it greenish? Is it just on the surface where we can wipe it off? Or is this go way down into the plaster? If it goes through the plaster, is it in the stone? Do we need to do some things to fix this? And then he waits. There's some time that is given. It's, I think it's easy for us to sometimes do this with sin. We, we look at sin in our lives and we want to make judgments. And we, we don't want to go to the priest. We don't want to go to God's Word to see what we need to do. We just, I'm an adult. I can handle this. I think of Mike Gundy's speech. I'm a man. I'm 40. I can handle it. Don't need that. We have written, we have instructions what we need to do when there is sin in our lives. We don't get to write our own prescription. We don't get to determine what we need to do to remove this sin. We are not the authority. In Leviticus chapter 14, God makes the priest the judge. The homeowner goes to the priest, and the priest comes and he determines, he judges if this is an issue. We have a judge. There is a parallel for us, much like that Israelite had to go to the priest. We have a priest. We have a judge. And we get to see how he judges. Now, if you will, turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, looking in verse 30. Jesus says, I can do nothing of my own accord. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And that sounds a lot like that Levitical priest. He doesn't make judgments of his own. He goes and he checks, and he sees if it's red or if it's green. He checks if it's on the surface or is it skin deep, because God told him to do that. Jesus doesn't make judgments of his own. He makes judgments according to God's law, because God told him to do that. He was sent on God's authority to make those judgments. And that is the judge who will judge us. And we have to live our lives according to those judgments, according to that law. It's the New Testament. That is the law by which our lives are, are governed. It is the standard by which we judge all things. So how do we protect ourselves? How do we protect our homes? Psalm 119.9. We have to guard our path. We have to watch our ways. We have to constantly be vigilant, constantly be looking. And then when we see things, maybe we don't need to make judgments immediately. Now, we will always make judgments, and I'm not saying that we don't need to make judgments. 
that we can make judgments with wisdom. And we can use a little knowledge and we can do some investigation before we fly off the handle and make judgments. This priest would go in and he would look and he could see red or green. He could see if it was on the surface or skin deep. And then he waited for a week. He didn't immediately say, that's leprosy, and kick the whole family out and burn down the house. That's not what they did. He gave it time. It's either worsened or he gave it time to get better. He gave it an opportunity. He waited. And maybe sometimes as a Christian, I think I can get caught up in this. I think it's very easy for me to see somebody coming out of a building. And depending on what that building is or what it's next to, like, oh, they shouldn't be in there. And I don't know the whole story. And I make judgments and presuppositions, and then all of a sudden I'm off to the races, jumping to conclusions. Sometimes it's easier to ask somebody, you know, what's going on, than it is to jump to conclusions. In Joshua chapter 22, we won't turn there, but there's a story after the conquest of Canaan. Actually, go back a little further. Before the conquest of Canaan, remember, there were some Israelites who wanted to stay on that east side of Jordan. So this is great land. Let us stay here. And Moses got mad. He said, you don't want to fight? You don't want to help your brothers? He said, no, no, you misunderstand. We want this land and we'll still help you. But let us stay on the east side. And they said, okay. So they go through and they, they conquer the whole land. Some people don't get rid of all of the nations that they needed to, but they do to, to what they can. And as those Israelites go back to cross the Jordan River, before they do, they build an altar. They build an altar and they say, you know, we're always going to be a part of this family. This covenant. God will always be our God. So they make this altar and then they cross over. Well, all the people who still dwell in Canaan on that west side of the river, they hear about this altar. And they immediately think, they've left us. They're gone. They are building altars to false gods. We've got to kill them. So they do the right thing and they gather an army and they go straight to the Jordan River. And right before they decide we're going to slaughter everyone who's on the east side of the river, somebody finally asked, hey, what's this altar for? I say, hey, that's just a reminder. We are always a part of you, that God is our God, and we will always serve Him. And they say, oh, that's, that's a pretty good idea. I'm glad you built this altar. When just a day prior, they were ready to kill them for it. They jumped to a conclusion. They didn't wait. They didn't find out. Sometimes we can wait and give time. In Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus says, you know, sometimes just go to your brother if you have an issue with him. And if he listens... You've gained your brother. And if he doesn't listen, bring you know, two or three more with you. And then if he still doesn't bring it before the congregation, bring it before the assembly. And you know, maybe part of that is increased numbers bring increased pressure on some people. But I also think another aspect of it is time. Back then, they didn't immediately get on TikTok and post a video and just blast somebody because they're mad at them. They didn't put angry tweets out or angry exes. I don't know. They changed the, changed the social media site. They didn't just put things out to hurt people. They didn't just send a mass text message out because somebody slighted them in some way. It took time to walk and talk to somebody and then go find two or more people and bring them and then to finally bring it before a group of people. It took time, and in that time, maybe those hot heads were able to cool. Maybe some of those problems were able to be rectified before we get to that next step. And today, it's just it's so easy to speed this process up, to not go to the second or third person, to not go to the congregation. We just see somebody and blast them. We need to give things time. And I, I, again, I'm not saying we don't judge people. We need to make righteous judgments. We have a law and we judge by that law. But we can also use some tact and we can use wisdom in those judgments. Now in Leviticus chapter 14, we have detected that there is a problem. And then we have gone through and 
we have examined this problem and we've, we've realized that this is not just a spot on the wall. There's something more to this. This is a problem. This is something that we have to deal with. This is something that we're going to have to rectify, maybe replace. We have to treat it. And so we go through and we look at how they treat it. And step one, they remove the plaster and then they remove the stones. You will notice that they didn't immediately bulldoze the house. They took steps. They tried to treat it with what they could before they immediately went scorched earth on it. And just for us, removal of sin varies. Just like the removal of leprosy may vary for individual homes, for individual people. Removal of sin can vary. You know, sometimes removal of sin for us means you don't go to a certain store. Sometimes you have to go a little bit deeper. Sometimes it means you don't drive down a street or go to a section of town. Sometimes it means you just have to throw away your car keys and you don't drive anymore. Sometimes it means, you know, if a certain commercial comes on, I've got to change the channel. Sometimes it means I don't watch that channel, period, or I change my, you know, my cable subscription to get rid of it. Sometimes you've got to throw your TV out. The way that we deal with sin varies. And that commercial that may cause you issues, that may not cause me issues at all. And sometimes that store that you can go in with no issues, that may be something that I can't even walk anywhere near that part of downtown. Because we struggle with different things. We all have different strengths. We all have different weaknesses. But we struggle with it together. We go through it together. And we remove those things. And each one of us removes at different levels for different items. We have to remove those things that cause sin in our lives, that cause sickness in our homes. And then, where did those unclean plaster and stones go? What did they do with it? They took it far outside the city. They took it to a burn pit, a place that was out of sight, out of thought, out of smell, out of mind. They didn't want anything to do with it. The only reason you went there was to throw more stuff away. Didn't want to notice it. Nothing to do with it. Turn to the 101st Psalm. David was a man of God's own heart. He's a, this is a heart that we need to have. And this is something that I don't have 100% of the time. I will be very honest with you. Sometimes people, and myself, we see a line in the sand and want to get as close to that line as we possibly can without going over it. David saw a line and he walked in the other direction as far as he could go. He wanted nothing to do with sin. And he writes a psalm, the 101st Psalm, this song that he writes. Begin with me in verse 1. Let's look at how David views sin and those who sin. I will sing of mercy and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will carefully attend to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It will not cling to me. A perverse heart will leave me, and I will know no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. I will not endure one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart. My eyes will be upon the faithful of the land that they will dwell with me. One who walks in a blameless way is one who will serve me. One who practices deceit will not dwell within my house. One who speaks lies will not maintain his position before me. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land so as to eliminate them from the city of the Lord. All those who do injustice. David wanted nothing to do with sin. He wanted nothing to do with those who would cause him to sin. He didn't want them in his house. He didn't want them in his service. He didn't want them in his city. He wanted them in the burn pit, out of sight, out of thought, out of mind. Not too long ago, well, we were studying in our Bible classes, 2 Kings, chapter 23. 
Now, this is after a period of Manasseh, who reigned for 55 years in, in Judah. Terrible time period for God's people. He brought in a lot of false idols. And by the time that Manasseh finally repents, it was too late. His son takes over. He did not reign for a long time. He was even worse than his father. And very quickly, they had a coup and removed him. Josiah comes in. He's one of the best kings of the divided kingdom. Josiah comes in and immediately they remove everything. He removes all of these idols. He removes all these things. And we're not going to read it, but in 2 Kings 3, think about some of these verbs. I listed them down. He burned things. He beat things. He scattered, removed, and defiled. All of them. In order to return Israel to a clean state. He did not want to give them the opportunity to worship those false gods, those false idols that had been brought in by his, his grandfathers and fathers. Wanted nothing to do with them. Didn't want to give other people the opportunity to work with them. He wanted to remove them. So don't do this. And too often, I think, thou shalt not. I think, oh, I can't do this. I don't need to do that. I can't drink this, can't eat this, can't go here, can't watch that. I think of all the things that I can't do. And that can kind of put you into a, a depression. Like, oh, I can't do anything. We replace those things with other things. We, we remove that. And we, we fill that void with good things, with righteous things, with godly things. We have to replace those things. Israel removed plaster. They removed stone. And if they didn't have to tear down their house, they didn't just leave a hole in their wall. They didn't say, well, you know, I had leprosy and I had to remove it. And now I've just got a hole in my wall and I have to watch my neighbor work in his garden all day. It's not what they did. They, re they replaced it. They put new, clean things in. They put new stone in. They put new plaster in. They put it clean material in their homes. When we refrain from sin, when we remove sin, we fill that void with good things. Paul answers this in Ephesians chapter 4 when he's talking about that replacing the old man with the new. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. Read with me there. Galatians 4. Sorry, Ephesians 4, verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard Him and you have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourselves of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You are to put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So we remove these things. We remove that old man. You say, great, now I'm just empty. But thankfully, Paul tells us we replace it. He, not only does he tell us to replace it, he gives us examples. He gives us very specific examples. In verse 25, he says, Therefore you rid yourselves of falsehood. Remove yourself of lies. Then speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, because we are parts of one another. We are to remove all lying. We replace it with truth. We replace it with good words. Skip down to verse 28. He gives us another example. The one who steals must no longer steal. Rather, he must labor, producing with his own hands that which is good, so that he'll have something to share with the one who has needs. The thief, you don't need to steal. Don't use your hands for theft. Use your hands to work. And then take that work and give it to other people. Help other people. Replace the old with the new. Replace it with better things, godly things, righteous things. Get rid of that negative and restore it with positive. And so we have identified a problem. We've examined that problem. We've, we've looked at it and we say, you know, there is an issue and I need to replace this. I need to do something. I need to fix it. And so we do. But that's not where it ends. 
We needed atonement. Now, the, the story doesn't end with finding leprosy in your home. It doesn't end with removing it, and it doesn't end with replacing that old wall with a new wall. It would seem like it does, but it doesn't. And as we come to this, this last part of Leviticus chapter 14, this is the part that I would skip the most if I was just reading through this, trying to get through it quickly. Because the second it got to the sacrifices, I think I don't have to make those sacrifices. I don't need it. Yes, animals died. And then I continue and pick up in chapter 15. That is how I used to skim through these things. Maybe you've done that previously. I try not to do that anymore. This is the most important section of Leviticus chapter 14. If we had replaced that leprous section of our home and put the new plaster in, we still have to call the priest. He still has to come. He has to make atonement because the problem isn't fixed. Very similarly, if I look in my life, I look in my home and I see sin, and then I remove that sin. I remove the opportunities to repeat that sin from my home so that my children cannot do that as well. My wife cannot do that. My family who comes to visit cannot do that. And then I even replace it with better, more godly things. That doesn't fix the problem. Because if that fixed the problem, then why do I need Jesus? And the answer is because I need atonement. Because that sin needs atonement. Why did they need the priest? Because God needed to atone that house. He needed to cleanse that house so that they would be able to move in it, so that it would be able to be clean. So with all that said, it is the same in Leviticus chapter 14. It is the same in 14 as it is today. Now turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. When it comes to sin, there's only one thing that's going to make us clean. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 34, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Now the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free. We need Jesus because of what he's done for us. We need Jesus to wash away our sins. We need Jesus to declare us holy. Because it doesn't matter if we have noticed sin in our lives. It doesn't matter if we've removed it from our lives and stopped acting in those ways. We've replaced it with better things. We need to be atoned. We can't do it by ourselves. One final point before we close. Did you notice what the sacrifice was as we read through it? There were two birds. One bird was killed. And then they took the blood of that bird and they mixed it with water. And they took the live bird and they immersed it in the blood and water mixed together of that sacrificed bird. And then it was raised out of that water and it was set free. And every that house, it was cleansed. We have a very similar situation today. We had a man who was a sacrifice for us, who shed his blood for us, who lived a perfect life and offered it for us, who washed away sins. And then we have to be immersed in that blood. We have to be washed in that blood. Similarly, we have to be immersed in water through baptism. We have to raise through that water and resurrection of the newness of life as a symbol of Jesus who also was sacrificed, died, and resurrected so that we can have atonement, so that we can have the forgiveness of sins, so that we can be clean. So, brethren, I'll ask you, have you examined your homes? 
Have you walked through it? Have you seen things that can cause you or your family, your friends to stumble? Can we remove those things? Can we replace those things? And then finally, can we be atoned? Can we be washed in that blood? Raised through that water into new life? If you haven't done that, if you need to do that, if there's anything that needs to be done so that we can be cleansed, so that we can replace that old man with a new, please do that as we stand to sing the invitation song.